Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What's up, guys? We made it. We're here. The opponent preview series has officially begun. Uh, we, we, we're here at our first episode, the first of 14 that we will be sparsing out over the next couple of months as we, we, we inch our way through what I like to call and what I refer to uh, quite at a nauseating rate, to be honest with you. But the vast wasteland that is the last eight weeks or so of the off season, you know, especially this time between the schedule release and training camp. And even training camp isn't all that exciting until they start playing preseason games. So, uh, yeah, we, we've still got some the hardest time of year to get through. My least favorite time of year. I've never been a fan uh, of summer. Even as a kid, I wasn't a big fan of the heat. I love that I didn't have to go to school. I loved it when we went to the beach and got to play in the water or go to the pool or whatever, but otherwise I hated, I hated going outside and sweating and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the only time I was willing to put up with heat was when we were playing football at the end of, or, you know, beginning of the school year and, and putting on the pads and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. The only time that I really would endure the heat was doing something that I loved, like playing football. But, um, you know, this is, you know, a 2023 season is the one we've been looking forward to since the start of last year, knowing that we were going to have a full slate of picks as opposed to pace, you know, trading all of our freaking assets away year after year. We had the most salary cap space in the league ahead of us and all that kind of stuff. And and then Ryan Poles could really get his hands on this team and 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 shape it in his in, in his image, if you will. And he did a, a fantastic job of, of doing just that. He knows he's not done. He knows it wasn't possible to do it all in one off season. But we're a much stronger team than we were going into, you know, 2022. So we have an air of optimism about us. And the team that we're talking to today in a very similar position as to where the Bears were a year ago. Only they did have a first-round pick, and they used it on somebody that we actually had our sights set on in Paris Johnson Jr., the offensive tackle out of Ohio State. They actually had a first-round pick to use versus the Bears not having, you know, having two second-round picks, but you know, not having a first-rounder. Um, but they're in a very similar place. New general manager, new head coach, new regime, uh, you know, and then made a trade in, in, this, in this year's draft that has them with two first-round picks next year. They'll be in a better salary cap space. So the Cardinals are the 2023 Bears. You know, the the, the Cardinals are, are what the Bears were in 2022. That's actually a better way to say it. This year's Cardinals are the 2022 Bears. You know, they're, they're looking forward probably more to next year than they are to this year. Uh, and we have Joe Camo um, from the Cardinal Rule uh, podcast, uh, primarily works on, on, on YouTube, so you can check out the channel. Uh, there uh, will be joining us uh, here to talk about that. And that's pretty much how he, he feels as well, is that there's probably more optimism going into next year than there is this year. 
you know, the realists know that they're probably going to take some lumps and not win a lot of football games this year, especially with Kyler Murray's December ACL tear uh, against the Patriots on Monday Night Football last year, keeping him out until possibly midseason uh, before he even hits the field uh, this year. Not to mention their schedule is brutal the first month or so uh, of the year. But we talk about all of that free agency, how 2022 wrapped up, the, you know, dismissing uh, Kime and um, Kingsbury from the team, uh, the, the in-season hard knocks and how that turned out, and all that and a whole lot more uh, with it, uh, with Joe Camo from the, um, from the Cardinal Rule podcast. So let's go ahead and get this series started. This is the opponent preview same place opponent episode of the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. Hang up the telephone. I hear the dial tone. out loud. So this long-awaited 2023 opponent preview begins with our same place opponents. And the first one up on deck is our NFC West same place opponent, the Arizona Cardinals. And... Um, I, you know, as, as I've told you guys a thousand times before, I, I look forward to this time. It helps me get through this vast wasteland of the offseason, this little last leg before we get to football and all that kind of stuff. And um, I, I enjoy doing these interviews. And here to help me kick off the 2023 opponent preview um, from the Cardinal Rule podcast, uh, Joseph, I, I, and I forgot to ask you how to pronounce your last name, man. It's Joseph <laughs> well, it's, from the Cardinal Rule show. Yeah, it's real simple. It rhymes with Joe, Joe Camo. There you go. So I, you know, I didn't, I don't like to assume when it comes to people's last names, because believe it or not, my last name is Dyer, D-Y-E-R. And my entire life, people have found ways to screw that up. Right. That just boggles the mind. There are four stinking letters in it, Joe. And yet I'm Dreyer, I'm Dwyer, I'm Deer. It's, I, I don't know where that comes from, but you know. The, the word D, the word die, D-Y-E, is a common word in the English language. You throw an R on the end of it, you're done. Dyer, that's it. But dryer, Dwyer, do, you know, it's like, I don't know why they want to pronounce the Y like a W, but they do, and that happens. And I got in a lot of trouble from school, getting pissed off at teachers for getting my name wrong. So one gym teacher in particular, I think he was just doing it to mess with me, to be honest with you. But anyway. Joseph Camo, thank you very much for coming on uh, to help us preview these Cardinals. Very interesting uh, team. Uh, basically, you are the Bears of 2023 with a new general manager, a new head coach, you know, moving forward uh, and everything after a less than successful uh, campaign uh, in 2022. Um, going with, with the expectations coming off of playoff season and everything, you know, what, what, uh, how did it, especially with the team losing its last seven games, nine out of their last 10, you know, watching the season just slip away like that, you know, it, how, how did that sit with the fans? Obviously not well. Right. <laughs> so going into last season, there was actually a lot of, uh, uncertainty with fans. They, you know, were kind of cold on the coach, Cliff Kingsbury, even though they'd come off, a, you know, a playoff, uh, trip that ended very poorly against the Rams. Right. So, um, you know, going into the last season, there were fans actually who wanted Cliff out before last season. Um, and certainly the GM who I know we'll talk about um, was also not a very popular figure. And, you know, a lot of fans were really down on what they did in the off season. You know, last year, 
uh, fans thought, okay, this is the year where Kyler Murray, you have him cost controlled on that rookie contract. He's going to be, you know, he signed that big deal, but it was still at that point where, you know, fans say, well, you should kind of put all the chips in, go all in, spend what cap space you have. And they didn't make big moves. Um, I'm not particularly a fan of big uh, free agency moves. I'm a believer in building through the draft, but a lot of fans wanted them to do that. And going into last season, there was a lot of, well, okay, well, we'll see, right? And boy, did we see. Um, it did not go well, and fans were very frustrated. They were frustrated with the coach. They were frustrated with Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray, you know, although some of his stats weren't bad in terms of completion percent and things like this, overall, you know, some of the advanced metrics showed that he wasn't effective in the deep pass. The eye tests showed that he was struggling, and I think a lot of that actually comes back to some of the, the shifts in terms of how defense has played uh, last couple of years. You know, a lot more of a move towards um, less blitzing, uh, more zone defenses, kind of bend but don't break, you know, a lot of quarters and, and uh, things like that. Uh, and this offense, you know, when they were effective the year before, was a lot of deep plays, a lot of, you know, uh, Kyler Murray playing hero ball. And, he do, you know, he's he does have a very good arm, good arm talent, good, actually good on deep throws, even though statistically he wasn't last year. But this new way the defenses are playing, at least this is my read on it, really takes that away. And the teams that have been effective are the ones who, you know, kind of attacked underneath that. And this offense really didn't do that well. And they also had a lot of issues with, uh, you know, uh, penalties on the offensive line and, you know, ending up in third and long and having to go deep. And just was really a bad cycle and they played poorly. And then lots of injuries to the offensive line in particular was decimated. So th- things just really went downhill and, you know, were worse than, than I thought they would be. And, um, you know, it, it became the beginning of really that, that Rams playoff game that was just such a horrific game was the beginning just of a long string of bad play off the field issues, uh, bad press media, embarrassing things like uh, the homework clause, the independent right. study clause that the yeah. owner put in his contract, all this stuff. I mean, Cardinals fans get it. Uh, you know, we are right now the franchise that around the league people are looking at and just kind of shaking their head at, rolling their eyes, and like, what's next? Um, now, there's some optimism with the new general manager. But, yeah, last year was was a complete mess. Yeah, and, and, and with it being – with you guys being last year's in-season hard knocks team. Now, when this was announced, I was really, really intrigued because in 2021 and 2020 – the Cardinals had both gotten off to fast starts and then faded at the end of the season. And Hard Knocks was going to be starting right around the point that the Cardinals would begin to struggle. And I was wondering how that would go down on film. Like, because when we played each other in 2021, you guys beating us made you 10 and 2. And then you, you, you know, you, you get into the playoffs at like, what, 11 and 6 or something? Like that, I think you won like one or two games after beating the Bears, like week thirteen or whatever uh, it was, and then you you know you kind of fall flat in the in that playoff game against the Rams uh, and whatnot. And I was like, this is going to be really interesting because Cliff Kingsbury has you know this great reputation of like September and October he's a world beater, but November mm-hmm. December 
they fall off a cliff and, you know, they were able to stumble their way into the playoff, but you're playing your worst football going into that playoff matchup and then played your worst game of the season in that wild card Ram, a wild card game against the Rams. And then being on hard knocks, if, if history was to repeat itself, only now we get to see behind the scenes and what's really going down. That was going to be really intriguing, except when hard knocks finally got started, you were only like what four and five or something like that, and you won maybe one game. Like while the show was, while was the show was in production uh, and everything, it was it was uh, I think quite the opposite of what uh, what you were wanting because you were you were middle of the road when the season when the when the when the hard knocks began, and then you just fell apart as as the season went along. Yeah, a lot of fans going into kind of had a bad feeling about what Hard Knocks would would be um, because they were already, you know, really down on the team and and really frustrated. And you know, there's everyone talks about the Hard Knocks curse, which I think is a little bit of a a, a self fulfilling prophecy because the criteria for being qualified for Hard Knocks, at least the the, regu- the the preseason one, is that you can't have been in the playoffs for the last two years, I think, um, right. and you can't have a new coach. So it's usually teams that are not good anyway to begin with but uh you know fans thought oh this is gonna be bad you know it's gonna it's gonna be ugly and you know i watched it obviously it was there were some really interesting things i mean you know some of the good things that came out of it i think everyone got to see what buda baker is really about the arizona cardinals fans know that already but i think a lot of fans outside of arizona who didn't realize what kind of player and person he was got to see that now unfortunately there's been his trade request so more of the bad stuff you know in arizona uh, and it was also i think a really nice poignant um kind of goodbye for jj watt you know like it was really his kind of uh retirement uh you know everyone getting to see him going out on his own terms but in terms of the behind the scenes i mean you just i, I cliff kingsbury i i think he's a good guy i think he's his head as an NFL coach, he, you know, um, he hadn't been a coach in the NFL at all. He'd only coached in college, obviously. Um, just seemed like he was over his head. I think, in my opinion, Hard Knocks made him a little bit of a sympathetic figure, at least as a person. Um, you know, Steve Keim was already kind of on the outs, and that didn't really – I think he was kind of neutral in terms of how he was presented there. But I think Michael Bidwell, you know, there were a few things people saw from him – that they didn't view favorably. Just you know, he seemed a little bit too hands-on for an owner. Um, but in the end, we yeah, we got to see them fall apart from the inside, and um, you know, there it was. It was frustrating and difficult to see. Uh, but you know, I, at the same time, I'm that glutton for punishment who you know is going to take uh, advantage of any opportunity to see behind the curtain of yeah. what's going on with the team. Yeah, I, I would, and, and I've been dying for the Bears to to do the preseason mm-hmm. uh, hard knocks, uh, especially this coming season. They still haven't announced who that team is going to be, or at least I haven't heard uh, yet, and I would love for it to be the Bears, especially going into what what we're hoping to be an upturn year uh, mm-hmm. for us with you know the addition of DJ Moore and the draft that we had, and you know we've kind of uh, patched up the offensive line and all that kind of stuff. I would love to see what... Um, what year two under Eberflus and polls uh, behind the scenes looks like. And, you know, uh, but, you know, like I said, uh, because we saw what, with the lions that what they did, they were the preseason team last year and people kind of fell in love with Detroit and what they were doing. And uh, 
They, I mean, they started out like the Lions and then finished like a Lion, you know, at the end with the, you know, and even knocking the Packers out of the playoffs, which Bear fans, of course, were just falling over themselves loving 100%. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing with, with, with hard knocks. And like I said, the Cardinals were an interesting in-season choice because of how the last two seasons had gone. They got off to these, you know, these fast starts where October and – September and October, they were real beasts, and then as the season went along, they kind of faded, and I think 2021 was especially interesting because you did all your damage on the road mm-hmm. and somehow couldn't put it together at home. Um, you know, like a 2-6, and 2-7 and seven team at home while being just absolute beasts on the road, no matter who you played uh, kind of thing. Um, and in 2022, like you said, it was just a string of everything that could go wrong did Right, go wrong. Week one, you were the you were the proving ground that the Chiefs were going to be fine without Tyreek Hill, and Mahomes throws for five touchdowns in your home stadium, and uh, and all that kind of stuff. You 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 barely squeak out that win against the Raiders in overtime. Great comeback uh, right. and everything, but you know they should have walked away with that game. Then the Rams, you go into town and, and you beat the Panthers, and then it's just. Pretty much goes off a cliff after that. You lose a close one to the Eagles, the Seahawks. You got the Thursday night game against the Saints. Um, yeah, and then the last victory was was the win at the Rams, and then seven straight to finish out the. Not to mention losing Kyler Murray with the knee injury on Monday night against the uh, Patriots. So, which is which leads us right into what what can you expect from Kyler Murray? Like, you know, do you know when? Because he's not going to be Week One ready but you know do you know like first quarter second half second quarter second half that kind of thing especially with his injury coming in December uh, right. of last year what what do you think the outlook is for him so the ACL injury has had um you know players coming back from that really aren't 100% until year 2 right um, at least the running, right? The, which for him is a big deal. I mean, I think people underrate his arm talent, but certainly what he does with his legs uh, makes him, you know, the kind of weapon he is. Um, so I think most people are expecting him at best to be back week four or five, but more likely closer to Thanksgiving. Um, and even when he does get back, you know, he's not going to be 100% in terms of the mobility, so it's going to be limited. Uh, and there are people who wonder, you know, if they're going to kind of take it slow with him to bring him back. Um, I think we will see him play. I think, you know, the, the Cardinals front office has some decisions to make, you know, going into next year's draft, especially if they end up with that first overall pick, which right. there's a good chance of that with the with the Texans pick in their own. I'm a believer in Kyler. I, I think the arm talent is there. Yes, he has certain limitations in terms of the middle of the field. Uh, every quarterback, for the most part, has some limitations. You know, there's a few that have none. Uh, but he, what he can do, I still think the arm talent and the leg talent is elite. So I'm, I'm a believer. But I think the front office with this new general manager is a person who's going to want to consider every possibility and look at everything. And I think they're going to want to see – Kyler Murray on the field at some point this season for more than just one or two games so that they have some sort of baseline at least to go into the offseason and weigh the question, okay, if we have first overall, do we take Caleb Williams and reset completely or do we build around Kyler Murray, trade back, get a massive haul, 
and build, you know, an amazing roster around him over the next couple of years with the draft capital we're going to have. So I think they're going to want to see him. Um, so I think we will see him play. My best guess, though, you know, based on the medicals and based on how much running is part of what he does, I think we're at least going to be looking week six, week seven. That is my best guess, maybe even a little bit later than that before we see him on the field. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or, how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today. The thing about those, those two options for the Cardinals, to, mm-hmm. to trade him and, and you know go for the number one overall pick, at, or to trade back from number one, get the massive haul like the Bears got from Carolina mm-hmm. uh, this year, and and build around Caleb Williams is that there's validity in both arguments because with 
with with keeping Murray and trading back your it's you know with Murray's massive contract kicking in it's it's imperative that you do something that's cost effective and building through the draft is the best way to do that. You're not going to get there by signing $50 million a year free agents right. uh, and things like that. But, you know, getting his massive contract off the books and starting from scratch is also a valid, um, you know, argument, especially with a new GM, new head coach, neither of which drafted uh, Kyler Murray or brought him in, getting that huge contract off the books uh, and everything, which is what makes that decision so difficult because both arguments make a lot of sense for the future of the franchise. Yeah, it's a tough one. And, you know, Cardinals fans are very split on it. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm in the boat that says stick with Kyler. I know like, you know, quarterback contracts, that's something that everyone talks about and how, you know, uh, if your quarterback is making more than a certain percent of the cap, then, you know, there's no one who's won except for now it's Mahomes. So it's only Mahomes uh, who's won with a big cap hit. I think there's a little, so everyone talks about, you know, the rookie deal and having to capitalize on that. And I think what sometimes people forget are those contracts actually age pretty well once you get to year three or so? Mm-hmm. When you get to the third, fourth, and fifth years, they're actually pretty good bargains. Uh, you know, if you look back to when the Rams won their Super Bowl with Matthew Stafford with a cap hit of $27 million, that right now sounds not bad for a quarterback. But right. when he signed it, uh, it was comparable to Kyler Murray's contract in terms – in fact, I've done the math. I had a video I did in March uh, bef- last year before he signed this contract where I did kind of uh, adjusted the you know the, the cap numbers of quarterback contracts and compared them across the years. Uh, and I actually predicted his contract within $5 million total of what it would be uh, pr- uh, before he was signed. Um, so like – with the whole Kyler thing, it's like, okay, you got to get for the, that first few years of the contract, you know, are going to be massive. But when you get to year three, four, and five with the way the cap will continue to grow, it's actually going to be a pretty reasonable number. Now, with a, a rookie quarterback, okay, Williams, Williams, the advantage, as you kind of talked about, would be, okay, well, he'd start year one of really it's a, you know, it's a three years before you have to, you know, negotiate. And you got, you know, that fifth year option usually, um, when you've extended the, the quarterback, that contract, the, the cap, it usually stays about the same in the fourth and fifth years, but then that contract gets in. See, but you know, you got about four years, that fifth year option is, is a reasonable bump in terms of cap hit. So you would at least be able to have a, a new window in that rookie, or maybe a two to three year window where the roster is hopefully good enough to compete with them. Um, but you know, with Kyler, you're having a window coming up maybe a year or two later that's not quite as pronounced, but that those years four and five on that contract are actually a nice little window. So there's advantages to both ways. I, I like the idea of imagine if they have two picks in the top five between them and the Texans. I think if Caleb Williams is as coveted as everyone says he's going to be, the haul that they would get for that pick would be historic. Yeah. Plus the – pick that they're having from the text, whichever pick is latter of the two. I mean, they could come out of next year's draft with someone like Marvin Harrison Jr., maybe a blue chip, one of the best defensive linemen in the draft, plus pick up like four future first round picks if they navigate the trades right. Right. So that's as as much as Caleb Williams may very well be kind of that elite quarterback. 
I believe Kyler has that skill set. And if you can have that kind of draft capital rolling and just keep building that route, you, you look at what the Jets have done with their roster, right? The quarterback situation hadn't been good up to this point. We'll see what, you know, Williams is there, or I mean, Rogers is there, but they've had this really great roster and, and, you know, they part of that was with some really good draft capital. So I'm hopeful that they kind of take that approach and just really leverage these picks, build kind of this rolling kind of pipeline of trading back a little bit every year to add additional day one and two picks and just build a juggernaut roster around him and keep it going with the draft picks like that. Yeah, it's um, it's something that we're watching the Bears doing now because mm-hmm. um, I think in his time, Ryan Poles has only traded up one time uh, in the draft, and it was in uh, the second round with our second second round pick that we got from the from the uh, from the Panthers in the trade uh, and everything. So it's mostly he's been trading back. We got an extra fourth rounder to move one spot back in the first round, and you know obviously we got you know five picks and DJ Moore out of the Panthers. Right. to move from one to nine in the first round this year uh, and everything. So it's um, it's fun watching watching the Bears do that, especially coming off the heels of a general manager who was so aggressive and trading up to get his guy and just decimating our future assets. Right. You know, and, you know, there's obviously there's 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 validity to those things. I mean, you see what uh, Les Snead has done with the Rams and, and being super aggressive and being like F first round draft picks and right. uh, and everything. They still don't have one. I think maybe next year they finally have their first one since like 2016. Uh, <laughs> the first year they've had a first round pick. It's almost a decade without a first round choice, but you know, it's um, it's, it's an interesting, you know, thing to, to watch, especially having, uh, you know, both of those uh, things happening here in Chicago at one point or another. So let's talk about this this off season. Was was the cupboard bare as far as uh, salary cap uh, considerations were? Because I'm looking at your free agent additions, and no one's really jumping off the page here as far as like going out there and getting like a JJ Watts or right. you know or anybody in in that of that ilk uh, and everything. So it's just like not exactly household names. Definitely names that you know if you know football, but right. um, nobody that's going to jump off the page and be like, oh. That's going to be the game changer for Arizona on X side of the ball. Yeah, they had a little bit of cap room to work with, but they didn't uh, really use it, you know, aggressively. And I actually like the approach because I look at it through more of a larger roster building process. Mm-hmm. You know, this is year one with a new coach and general manager, and I, I you know, I, I pay a lot of attention to roster building strategies. I love following uh, content. You know, uh, if you're not familiar, and I'll just throw a shout out for your viewers, uh, Sumer Sports, Eric Eager, formerly of PFF, started that, and they, they do a lot of really great analytic stuff on kind of roster building kind of stuff. They have some really great content on YouTube. And um, I love following their stuff, and other, other people talk about those kinds of things. And I just look at this in terms of like the stages of, of kind of setting up a roster for success. Uh, for starters, you have to build through the draft with premium positions because yeah. that's where you get them. You get them on the cost control basis, like left tackles, receivers, quarterbacks, cornerbacks, edge rushers. On the free agent market, you're going to overpay for those. So right. you really have to build through the draft. And the free agency is where you kind of supplement those secondary positions inside linebacker, interior offensive line. And you're not going to build a contender through free agency. You have to start with the draft and then you supplement. Well, this team has not drafted well under the previous general manager. Um, 
So I think what they did this year is this is stage one in, in sort of a reset, rebuild, whatever you want to call it. Let some of the free agents go that you don't see as part of the future. Maybe they don't fit the scheme, the culture, or the roster building strategy in terms of where you want to spend your money. So they let some guys like Byron Murphy Jr. and Zach Allen go, um, who you know were popular amongst the fans, would have liked to have him back, but I get it. And the guys they brought in were value-free agents. And they brought in guys, you know, not surprisingly, from the teams where our coaching staff comes from, right? right. Uh, our offense coordinator was with the Browns. Well, uh, you know, Hjalte Frodholt, who's probably going to be the starting center, was a backup there. They brought him in, so he knows the offensive system. Thank, thank, you, know, you, they, for, they, uh, thank you for pronouncing his name for me. I had no idea yeah. how to say that first name. <laughs> It was like, hi, Jalti, or something. Yeah. I wouldn't have been far off, but I would have been wrong at the same time. Right. Hi, Yalti. Okay. Hi, Yalti Froedhold. I was like, how the yeah. hell do you say that first name? <laughs> I, I've heard it pronounced by others, so that's the only reason I know. Right. Um, but, you know, Kaiser White was an inside linebacker with, with the Eagles, right? Well, Jonathan Gannon and his defensive coordinator, Nick Rouse, is coming from there. And, you know, I, I think what they do is smart. You bring in guys who know the systems, can help – kind of instill the culture and install the offensive and defensive systems, but they're not expensive and they're not premier players. So if you draft someone who outperforms them, you can, you know, it's, they're not, you know, have so much invested in them that it's a problem for them to lose their starting job, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, so they're, they're kind of clearing the chaff from the previous regime bringing in key players to help install the new culture and systems and also emphasizing the draft. So because they didn't bring in a lot of high, you know, dollar free agents and big name free agents, you know, going to the draft, whoever they end up drafting has a better chance of getting playing time and developing, right? So this first year is going to be let the, you know, install the culture of the system and let some of the rookies and second year players get more playing time. And the idea being, you know, by the year two next year, hopefully those players are up to speed and then the guys you're drafting are coming in. So it, it was more of a larger process of roster kind of resetting the roster, turning over the roster and getting prepared for how they want to build it, which is going to be, I think, and, you know, Monty Austin for comes from the Patriots kind of system, their new general manager. You know, and if you look at what they do, you know, they have never been big, big players in free agency. They no. take their shots once in a while, but it's much more through the draft, much more emphasizing uh, value in the draft. I did a video looking at how um, kind of projecting money, how money Austin Ford would approach the draft, looking at how the, the Patriots draft positionally. And, you know, they, they don't take middle linebackers in the first round, like, like our previous general manager, because that's not a premium position. They take interior offensive linemen, rounds four primarily and, and thereafter, you know, you, you take tackles in the first round, but not guards, you know, they, they do the things that like smart people who understand kind of value and drafting kind of advocate for in terms of the draft. And I, I, I think this is what they're going to be doing there. You know, you look at how he kind of got that extra draft capital next year. We are set up very nicely next year. Yeah. And, Patriots like trading back every year because if you get that pipeline going, as you know, when you trade back a year, like you get the the the, the pick is devalued by a round. So if you trade a second rounder uh, from or a third rounder this year, you should get a second rounder next year, right? So if you keep doing that every year, trade back a little bit for future picks. You know, maybe you trade back ten spots and then you get an extra 
round three pick next year, you keep kind of adding and generating draft capital, right? Positive draft capital through that process if you're patient willing to do that. Um, so I think that's what they're doing, right? That the, They're not spending big money on free agency. They're going to try to get the young players to play. Next year, they'll assess things, hit the draft, maybe bring in one or two strategic free agents. Uh, but in the long run, if they get it right, they're going to have a really nice roster with, a, again, a lot of those premium position players on rookie contracts. And then when it's time to pay them, they'll have other players on rookie contracts and kind of really hopefully build a solid roster that way. Yeah, what well, you mentioned, you know, free agency is where you overpay. And that was something right. that I – that I mentioned online when we saw what the Bears draft was turning out uh, to be was that, you know, a lot of Bear fans really just wanted uh, Ryan Poles with the most salary salary cap space in in the league to break the bank and just go get guys to fill up these holes. And then, you know, we didn't end up coming away with a premier tackle or uh, a three technique defensive tackle on the other side. And then uh, because he didn't want to pay through the nose. I mean, Javon Hargrave, who's 31 years old, I think, got $21 million a season from the the 49ers. I mean, even Zach Allen got a pretty penny from the Broncos when he uh, went over to them. And, you know, and the other defensive tackles that were that the Bears were considering outside of Deron Payne, who got re-signed by the by the I was going to say Redskins, by the commanders (laughs) Mm -hmm. three years in. I'm still saying freaking Redskins. Nice. It's kind of like how I say San Diego when I talk about the Chargers. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's just and then when the draft comes along our first round pick is an offensive tackle and our second, third round picks were defensive tackles and I'm like, well I love how, you know, Ryan Poles is, you know, filling filling these uh, filling the, the, the roster uh, in spots where he refused to overpay in free agency. Like if he yeah. had gotten a Javon Hargrave, if he'd gotten you know Mike McGlinchey, who the Bears were you know on the board with, but by the end, you know Denver offered more than the Bears were willing to pay, so he's a Bronco. And instead of paying eighteen million a year to bring in Mike McGlinchey, we're going to pay four million a year to bring in you know Darnell Wright, you know right. as, as our top you know draft pick at, at number ten overall, and then maybe a million a season, two tops for a second and third round pick to come in and we signed Andrew Billings from the uh from the Raiders to to kind of help in a defensive tackle and it's like he was he was smart with the money. He, it wasn't like, you know, giving a, you know, a kid $20 at the candy store and he blows all $20 on on whatever he can get his hands on kind of thing. We still have the most salary cap space in the league, so we can either use that to sign guys that we have in camp to, you know, extensions or you know or whatever we want to do to to snag that last free agent that's out there on a cap friendly deal and whatnot, instead of just going out there and because we have the money, let's spend it uh, kind of thing. It was a very smart strategy. And I, and I like how, like you were saying, being, there is a strategy, there is a process here and there's no need to rush this thing uh, in year one, you know, especially for a team coming off a four and 13 season lost its last seven games. It's going to spend at least the first quarter of the year, if not more without it starting quarterback and, and all that kind of stuff. There's no need to go in and push to, to be 13 and four, as opposed to 14 and three uh, last year. Well, and you know, I, I've, I, there's some folks who have kind of gone back and forth with this uh, in kind of in the chat, my, my videos and stuff. And like the argument I pose is like, okay, let's say the Arizona Cardinals this off season, just through caution to the wind and just were super aggressive in free agency, like chase every big name they could got 
every single ounce of cap space they could, did every trick in the book to, you know, kick cap space on the road, create space, and just were aggressive. I still think this team isn't winning more than seven or eight games if they do that because the injuries to Kyler Murray, because the roster was just in such a bad state of affairs from what our previous general manager had done uh, in terms of not hitting the draft well, not valuing premium position, you know, middle linebackers for two drafts in a row in the first round. You just, that's not smart drafting positional value. wise. So like, like even if you go all in, all you're doing is just giving yourself a little bit cooler spot in purgatory, you know? So you might as well get the young players playing, take your lumps now, uh, save that cap space and add draft capital and build something sustainable. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the draft because there was a lot of speculation going into the draft. You know, like what happens, whatever the Texans did at number two was going to weigh heavily on what the Cardinals were going to do at number three. You know, because we all knew Carolina traded up with the Bears to get a quarterback. When the trade first happened, everybody thought that was C.J. Stroud. It turned out to be Bryce Young, which is what the rumor mill said as we got closer to the draft. It's going to be Bryce Young, which said, which then the Texans, you know, got really interesting with everyone, making everyone believe, yeah, we're not going to draft a quarterback at number two. Maybe we draft one at 12 or, or something like that. But, you know, right now we're happy to stand firm at, uh, at number two with, uh, with Will Anderson. And instead they shock everyone by drafting C.J. Stroud. And it's like, okay, so now, now what? Now it's like the Cardinals want to trade out. They want to get more draft capital. And instead, the, you know, to shock everyone, not only did you trade the pick like everyone thought you would, you traded it to the Texans. Right. Who bump right back up to number three from 12, draft Will Anderson, and come away with like two of the top three prospects in the draft uh, and everything, but also set you guys up huge for next season. Because I've seen probably not something you're a big fan of as far as being a fan of the Cardinals, but, but also a huge fan of as being a fan of the Cardinals is seeing like the Cardinals have the first and second round pick or first and second overall pick next year. If things go that, whether it's the Texans that give you that number one pick or you yourselves earn the number one pick like the bears did. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it, you get, you guys are set up to be monsters in the first round next year to either grab those top, prospects or to set yourself up like the bears did to come away with more draft picks and you know what to do with next year. Yeah. And you know, the, the whole trade back thing was interesting because you know, going into that, I thought the Titans were the more likely trades partner for the Cardinals that they would trade up to get a quarterback or maybe the Colts would trade up to three to ensure they got the guy they wanted. And no one jumped ahead of them. And when the Texans trade up, that was inter- That was just, you know, like, Clearly, they wanted their elite edge rusher. They wanted their their version of the Bosa, you know, that mm-hmm. that D'Amico Ryans was used to playing with in, or coaching in San Francisco. They wanted their guy there in Houston. So that was a shocker. Uh, and then when they traded back up to, you know, get Paris Johnson Jr., that was surprising to me, although yeah. there had been rumors they liked him. I didn't think they would go tackle going into the draft because they have two guys that left tackle, DJ Humphreys and Josh Jones, who are starting caliber left tackles. So it just felt like a logjam, but they really like him. Uh, he's their future. Um, but in terms of, yeah, the future, like, listen, yeah, I, I, it's going to be a tough season struggling through all these losses. 
but like my dream scenario is that they come away with pick one and two. They trade away pick one for like, you know, three first rounds and three seconds, just a crazy haul because people really are going up to get Williams. And, and then at pick two, someone trades up for the next quarterback and then yeah. the Cardinals end up with maybe picks three and five or something like that. Plus like four or five extra day one and two picks in the coming years and still get like, you know, the best non quarterbacks in the draft. Like to me thinking about how that could set up this team for, for the future. I mean, they already have, as you talked about a really nice collection of draft capital next year. They own, they own next year's draft as it stands. Yeah. Um, control it and just thinking about how much they could take that and like double down on that and still get like, like I said, Marvin Harrison jr. Let's say one of the best defensive linemen get that pairing plus all those extra picks plus still having probably eight or nine picks next year. You know, it's, it's, it's tantalizing. And I would take this year of lumps. I mean, we're going to struggle anyway, but I, w- I would endure that. Enjoy watching our rookies play this year and, and think about what that means in the future if it turns out that way. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Well, let me just assure you that knowing that is going to make this year a lot easier to get through because we as Bear fans in 2022, we didn't, you know, we weren't projecting to have the number one pick or anything like that, but just having a first round pick and the most salary cap space in the league is something that carried us through what was a three and 14 season. And, and trust me, it was the weirdest season ever as a fan base. 
because, you know, going into the season, the, the experts were right. They said the Bears were going to be terrible. They were going to be drafting in the top five. They were going to be a 3-14, and 4-13 and 13 team. And I was like, there's no way that we make it through the season and we're still talking <laughs> about Justin Fields as our quarterback at the end of that year. There's just no way. And instead, Justin Fields goes bananas, showing everyone what, a, what an insane athlete that he is, you know, rushing for over 1,100 yards and almost breaking the single-season record. He does now have the single-game rushing record for a quarterback and uh, and all that kind of stuff. So we had Fields balling out like a monster while we couldn't play defense to save our lives. And <laughs> the defense, you know, cost the Bears so many games this year uh, and everything. But we're okay with it because we're getting through it and it, we're all looking ahead to 2023. The, the return on the investment, we're going to have a first-round pick, we're going to have the most salary cap space. This new general manager seems to have his head screwed on tight so we'll see how it all goes I think that's the year you guys are looking forward to or that you can look forward to is that the easy the 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 losses will be easier to swallow because you have two first round picks likely two high ones next year you're going to have a better situation with the cap uh next year and all that kind of stuff so there is stuff to look forward to to go into 2024 yeah I think you know most of the Cardinals fans I interact with um seem to be of that mind. There's a handful that are frustrated and wanted them to try to be more competitive this year. But I think most Cardinals fans, at least the ones I interact with regularly seem to get that. Um, You know, and I I think, and I think you're right. Like going into it with that different expectation is going to make it more tolerable, (laughs) you know, to endure as we watch them get blown out. And as we watch all the mistakes as, you know, David Blau or Colt McCoy, you know, is starting at quarterback. Um, but it's going to be exciting to watch guys like B.J. Ojolari and, and, you know, Keetrell Clark and those rookies and see what they do. And that's going to be something to look forward to or to enjoy while we, you know, wait for the other side of the bridge where things are going to be better. Yeah. Yeah. Paris Johnson coming off the board was somewhat of a blow to Bears fans because that was a mm. guy that we had circled at number nine. Because uh, obviously offensive tackle after free agency was at the top of our wish list and and those that were still delusional about the Bears possibly drafting um Carter uh the defensive tackle from uh Georgia mm-hmm. um once once he had the 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 car accident which was the second one that he'd had like yeah I'm, I'm off this kid yeah I don't, I don't want him at all uh like I just don't I, number one I don't think we have the culture in place just yet to be able to to you know get this kid in line uh, kind of thing, but uh, also just how do you trust somebody like that? And then his workout happened where he ran out of gas halfway through his own workout. It's like, yeah, that's not good. You know, yeah. he's he's 10 pounds heavier than he was two weeks ago, and he can't even he doesn't have the gas to finish out, a, a you know, a pro day. It's like, this is not good. This is not good at all. And, you know, there were people who were mocking him at number one when the Bears had that pick. It was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. So. You know, we go out and, and, you know, Paris Johnson was there. There was some talk about Darnell Wright, but I don't think anybody knew how, how much in love the Bears were with him at the time. Darnell Wright I'm talking about. but Yeah, uh, I was a little surprised how high he went. I mean, yeah. he's a good player, but I think maybe I was one of those people who saw him more as a right tackle and, and figured th- he'd be late the, first round, early second round. Yeah, but, and I think that's but, why he went where he did is because the Bears only had him as a right tackle because we have Braxton mm-hmm. Jones. So Paris Johnson... That would have been a far more interesting situation because it's like, okay, 
He played both tackle spots in college and a guard position, which was good for the Bears because we could use help at guard too. But he played both ta- both tackle positions, so we draft Johnson. Where do we put him? Do we slot him in yeah. at left tackle and off we go and we move Braxton Jones over to the right, or do we keep him at right tackle for his rookie year and Braxton Jones stays at left tackle and all that kind of stuff? But when we drafted Darnell Wright, it's like, well, that answers that. Darnell Wright's a right tackle, mm. so Braxton Jones stays on the left side and we go from go from there. Uh, kind of thing, but it's just like all the tools that Johnson has and his versatility along the line. He was a very enticing prospect for the uh, for the Bears, and it was like, ah, oh, well, you know, he's off the board. So who does that leave us? Yeah, kind of thing. We've so, got a similar dilemma with him. You know, I, I mentioned we have our two left tackles, G.J. Humphreys, who's recovering from an injury, but still has been the starter for years, and Josh Jones, former third round pick, who played nicely when he started for him last year. And then at right tackle, we have Kelvin Beecham, who's fine. You know, he's older. Uh, but, you know, I think uh, Paris Johnson Jr. is more likely to start a guard this year, um, at least for now, right? And then maybe next year they move on from some of those guys they have, and then he ends up being our left tackle next year. So what's the defense going to look like this year? Is is uh, It's Cooper, right? That's the head coach? Uh, Jonathan Gannon. Gannon, that's it. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Gannon was the D coordinator over in Philadelphia. Is he bringing the 4-3 with him, or is he sticking with the 3-4? He's going to bring uh, some version of what they did in Philadelphia. His right. you know, his defensive coordinator is Nick Rouse, who was the linebackers coach with the Eagles. So they, they're kind of bringing the whole deal there. You know, they're, they're sort of um, kind of a, a 4-3 base, but, you know, obviously – these days the nickel ends up being the base defense, you know, in this league. So they're going to, you know, they, 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 he talks about how they, they're going to play multiple fronts based on what the, you know, what the other team does. So it'll be a little bit of a hybrid, but it'll be a four, three base um, at its core, uh, probably something similar to what, what the Eagles were running. Okay. And so then, then Ozilari, uh, I have him listed as a defensive end. He will play defensive end, not a hybrid you know, defensive end slash tackle for a three, four then. Yeah. I think what you'll see a lot is that nickel look. That's kind of like a, what a four, two, five. So sure, like, it looks sure, like yeah. a four, three front. Um, and in that he'll be kind of that defensive end edge rusher. Um, maybe when they, if they play some, you know, if they play some three, four fronts from time to time, or if they mix it up, he might be a linebacker, but he's going to be whatever is rushing the quarterback. He's going to be it. Um, from down to down, I would anticipate. So Paris Johnson, he's a day one starter wherever they put him, right side, left side, he's day one? Probably right now a lot of people are thinking day one starter left guard. Um, guard. You know, again, DJ Humphreys and Josh Jones are left tackle, Beecham at right tackle. They brought back Will Hernandez at right guard. Froholt is probably playing center, and left guard is a spot where there's a handful of guys who are kind of competing for the spot, and he seems uh, like the most likely person to get that that start at left guard. So how about your third-round picks? Garrett Williams, the corner out of Syracuse. Michael Wilson, the wide receiver out of Stanford. You know, those are number one premium positions and number two high enough that you would expect them to contribute early. If maybe not starters, but definitely somebody that you're going to see rotated onto the field. Is that kind of the projection for those guys? 
probably, I mean, we're, I, I think Cardinals fans are really excited about those guys. Um, you know, they both fell in the draft because of injuries, mm. right? You know, um, so Williams is recovering from an injury, should be ready to play this year, would have maybe been more like a second round pick had he not been injured. Our cornerback position, you know, it has needs a lot of help. Um, you know, Byron Murphy Jr., who was kind of a number one cornerback, left in free agency this offseason. So, you know, right now we have uh, Marco Wilson going into his third year who, you know, has, has struggled but started playing better towards the end of last season. So he may be a starter. Then we got guys like Rashad Fenton, you know, who – has kind of bounced around a couple of teams recently and had an off year this last year's question mark on him, uh, you know, Antonio Hamilton. So like Garrett Williams has an opportunity to grab a starting and earn a starting position. And, uh, you know, based on his skill set, I mean, could I, it wouldn't shock me if he became our, our, our number one cornerback by the end of the season. Uh, and part of that speaks to the issues of depth. So, I, I think, you know, cornerbacks are kind of tricky. You know, they take a little time to, to develop sometimes at the, at the, in the league. Um, but I, I could see him starting. Now, Michael Wilson, uh, the receiver, ha- with the recent news of, um, you know, DeAndre Hopkins being released, right. has a whole new uh, set of opportunities. Um, you know, at that kind of, uh, you know, X receiver on the outside, uh, we don't have a lot of big receivers on this roster, um, you know, with guys like Greg Dorch and, and Marquise Brown and Rondell Moore, you know, it, the big receivers we have of note are Zach Pascal and Michael Wilson. Now Pascal, they brought in from Philadelphia. He's a special team stud and decent player. But Wilson, I mean, you know, and I did a video on him. You know, he's had some unfortunate injuries, um, a, a Jones fracture in his foot. Then when it was re- he was recovering from it, it got re-injured. And then he, I think, had a broken collarbone. Um, so he's had some bad luck. But, you know, with injuries like that, it, you know, it's those soft tissue injuries like the hamstrings that you worry more about in terms of chronic lingering stuff. You know, so if, if, if it was just bad luck with those broken bones – he has some really great potential, his ability off the line, his stop and start. Um, and I, you know, I think there's a lot of fans are really optimistic that like he could really end up being one of those outside receivers of note for this team. Um, you know, so there's a lot of upside there. Um, we'll have to see how it plays out, but you know, with Deandre Hopkins (laughs) moving on, there's some opportunity there as well. Yeah. And then um, fourth and fifth round picks, John Gain, the second from UCLA. He's a guard. And then Clayton Toon, the quarterback out of Houston. Now, this is a guy that I'm interested because I know that Trace McSorley signed elsewhere in free agency, and Colt McCoy right now is your default starting quarterback. So where does that put – is there another quarterback in camp, or is Clayton Toon, you know, gearing up to be the backup going into the season? So there's also David Blau who David you know, was Blau. Okay. right, you know, f- in from Hard Knocks, right? You right. know, uh, yeah. the guy uh, managed to be part of both of them last year. Yeah, interestingly enough, I, I went to the I, li- I live in Georgia. I went to the Falcons Cardinals game, and I sat right behind, like two rows behind his his parents and his wife nice. <laughs> for that game, which was kind of interesting. But um, yeah, David Plow, you know, he's, he's, he's a bubble guy. He's, he's an interesting guy. He's a good backup. He's not a guy that's ever going to be a starter. So going into the season, I, I don't think tunes going to be starting. I think it's going to be 
McCoy or Blau, depending on McCoy's health. Um, you know, everyone's looking for their Brock Purdy, right? You know, sure, after sure. last year, that that day three quarterback um, who you know with the right coaching, right system can be serviceable, if not better. And, you know, I think that's kind of what they're doing there. And, you know, again, I mentioned Monty Austin for it comes from the Patriots. If you look at the Patriots, they, you know, when, when they had Tom Brady, you know, during their, their run of good years, they were taking quarterbacks as early as round two or round three, sometimes a little later. But they liked taking quarterbacks to kind of develop and have as backups and then maybe eventually trade them for draft picks before the rookie year deal was up if if there was some uh, value there so I think he's an interesting guy I think they're just looking to you know put some guys in that room who can be backups if Kyler Murray gets injured or bridges if something different happens um, but I, I'd be surprised if we saw Toon uh, playing this year Um you know, in terms that or of the, something horribly wrong has occurred, right? If, right, if Clayton right. Toon finds his way onto the field this year? I think, I mean, either something really good or really bad happens if he's on the field, right? Either he just really, really impresses yeah. uh, and is better than Blau and McCoy in practice, or they all get injured, right? So, yeah. Um, and then you mentioned Gaines, you know, the, the guard that they took out of, I believe it was UCLA, John yeah. Gaines, the the, uh, the second. You know, he wasn't a guy who was on my radar. Did a lot of, like, kind of stuff leading to draft uh, in terms of mock draft, live streams and things. And guard was a position we were looking at kind of on day three, which is where they did take him. Um you know, in the fourth round and, you know, the Patriots liked taking interior linemen in the fourth round a lot. Yeah. Um, he wasn't a guy I was looking at. There were other guards. I liked better guys like Chandler Zavala and, and players like that. But you know, there's there, and you've maybe seen this going around. There's this one combine drill. I want to say it's the shuttle. It, I might be wrong which one it is, but it's one of those drills that is apparently a very strong historic indicator of good interior offensive linemen, like offensive linemen who score below a certain time on this um, hit at a high rate. And he was within that threshold. So Mm. although I didn't know a lot about him, he's super athletic. They're going to be running a wide zone where your offensive linemen, especially in the interior, you want them to be able to pull. So he fits that, Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how he develops. Uh, you know, the Patriots had a lot of success taking offensive linemen on day three um, and even undrafted free agent David Andrews, their starting center. Um, so I'm kind of taking the approach of trusting Monty Austin Fort's eye for those offensive linemen coming out of that Patriots, you know, kind of system. Um, so he's a guy who I don't know that he'll be starting. There's some word people think he might they might look to move him to uh, into center. Um, so maybe he ends up getting some playing time there if he really impresses people. Um, I see him as a little more of a developmental guy who might, uh, you know, might see the field this year, but is more likely to be a backup. All right. So let's look ahead at the uh, schedule uh, here. Uh, you have the NFC East and the AFC North as your outside conferences uh, this year um, makes for a very interesting schedule, especially with the year the NFC East just had, mm-hmm. where the worst, the fourth place team was an eight eight and one uh, team. It was uh, very interesting. What, especially going into twenty twenty two, no one thought that there could be possibly four playoff teams coming out of the NFC East, like almost happened. 
uh, last year, and you get three of them right off the bat uh, <laughs> in the schedule. You're at Washington week one, and then you're home for the Giants and the Cowboys before your first division game against the 49ers. So three teams in the NFC East and the 49ers, possibly the the you know the cream of the NFC West in that first month. That's a that's a hell of a way to find out where the Cardinals stand as we as we begin this year. Because I mean, you know, I think like best case scenario, you're hoping for two and two to come out of that. But if you know zero and four with against those four teams, wouldn't exactly surprise anyone at this. No, point, not at I all. I, yeah, I mean, you look at the the schedule, and you you know, then you've got the Bengals, right? right? <laughs> uh, the, the the Rams in week six are kind of the first quote unquote beatable team because right. they're also in a similar place in terms of struggling with their kind of rebuilding or whatever you want to call it. You know, it, it depends on what, what are these Cardinals going to be? Are they going to be truly as bad as they look on paper? Because the uh-huh. roster, especially on defense doesn't look good on paper. Then you got Kyler injured, you know, are they going to be that bad? If they are as bad as they look on paper, I mean, they're going to be, they're going to lose the first five and go into the Rams hoping that they have a chance to pull off a win. And even that's a little bit daunting with, with their quarterback situation. Um, Or are they a scrappy team? I mean, you look at the the giants last year, no one expected them in that to be as good as they were. Now, you know, they weren't world beaters, but they were competitive Mm -hmm. um, with, you know, Daniel Jones is, you know, mixed people have mixed feelings on him i think he's i don't think i wouldn't want to be building around him as my quarterback um he's not the worst but whatever uh but you know their playmakers aside from saquon barkley and offense that wasn't a team you looked at and thought they'd be really competitive but they were so sometimes you see that when a new coach comes in there's some sort of exuberance and kind of excitement and then maybe just the new program and the new coaches getting more out of the players on the roster who maybe weren't as bad as people thought they were but just under the previous coaching they just played poorly so like the cardinals are that kind of team right if they're mm-hmm. better than they look on paper they're scrappy and they they managed to play you know you know maybe leaning on the run more and de- and you know overachieve you know if they're that kind of team then maybe they pick off a few of those games yeah. right yeah like so like you said two and two you know the best case scenario you know going into the Rams I really feel like this team is probably best case scenario is yeah probably two and three and that's the best case scenario going into week six. Yeah, and 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 you know, having been you know a Bears fan my entire life, you described that you know basically what happened with um with with the Giants and everything is what happened with the Bears in 2018 mm. when Nagy came in. You know, we, right. we felt like we were a, a year away, like we everyone was looking forward to 2019 when Nagy came in in 2018, and then 2018 we make the trade for Khalil Mack. Nagy installs this culture that everybody responds to, and out of nowhere we go twelve mm-hmm. and four, you know, yeah. and that's pretty much what happened. Um, I'm blanking on the coach's name, the Giants, um, the offensive coordinator. Nagy? No, 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 for the oh. for the Giants. Oh, oh, um, oh I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, Dable. Yes, Brian Dable. You know, he yeah. comes in, injects this this culture, and they have this never say die attitude because that was the thing that won the Giants more games than anything was that they just wouldn't go away right and in the end they just outlasted you know most of the teams 
uh, they played against. And before you know it, we're talking about the Giants are a six and one team. Like, where the hell did that come right. from? You know, it's like everyone thought that the you know the Giants were lucky to be, you know, th- you know two and one, three and one, and, and then the next now they're six and one, seven and one. Like, what the hell's going on in New York? Yeah, over there, you know, and it's it can happen. And if if at the very least, if you're not going to come away with the W's, which is what happened in Chicago, was that we saw a lot of fight in this team, no matter who was on the field, because we got decimated by injuries as the year went along. So not only did we not measure up with our best guys, but when the backups got in there, then it got really ugly. But they fought until the the very end. The best example would be like week 15, week 16, whatever it was, we had Philly and Buffalo come into town back-to-back. And we fought those guys tooth and nail to the end of both of those games. Like Philly pulled away at the end to go like 20 to 12, I think, or something like that was the final score. Um, You know, Buffalo kind of tacked on some garbage touchdowns at the end to make that one look worse than it was. But three quarters in, we're giving Buffalo all they can handle. But in the end, reality sets in in the fourth quarter and the better team comes out ahead. But yeah. like you said, you, you feel better walking away from those losses than you would if you had squeaked out a win. You know, just I, that was one of my things going into last year was that I was I want to find, I want to feel good about the losses instead of being upset about the wins. I, what I called them was yeah, but victories. It was right. like yeah, we won, but if it wasn't for this or you know that or you know there were a lot of yeah, but victories under Matt Nagy, especially in his last two seasons. Uh, and everything, and you, you, you weren't happy about the wins, and you hated the losses. And if you can come out like last season, we lost ten straight to finish the year. But you know, Eberflus had those guys fighting until the very end, to where you feel like progress is being made, despite the fact that we're just tacking on one loss uh, after another. Going into this schedule, you have three playoff or two playoff teams. Well, three with the Forty ers uh, a team that was on the fringe of the playoffs right until the very end of the season, and a team that, if not for a stupid-ass penalty, should have gone to the Super Bowl again last year with the Cincinnati Bengals. That's your first five games. Okay, Then you have the division rival in the Rams on the road. You're at Seattle, one of the toughest places to play, no matter how good or bad they're playing. And then you've got the Ravens. You're at the Browns, home for the Falcons, at the Texans, Get the Rams again at home and then at Pittsburgh before a late week 14 bye. It's uh, it's quite the gauntlet. I mean, like you were saying, the winnable games, like you said, the first one's probably the Rams because that's a team you beat last year. The Seahawks look to be on the way up somehow. Uh, after They're in a better spot now than they were when they had Russell Wilson on the team, which is hilarious right. uh, to me. You know, Then the Browns don't really know what the Browns are going to be. This year, with the full off season, with with Watson, he's going to play the whole year, kind of thing. Have they done enough to you know to to, to ascend with him? The Falcons are an interesting team because like the big question mark at quarterback and what they're going to do, but they should be able to run the hell out of the ball with Bijan Robinson and and all those guys. And then you have the Texans, at the Rams again, and then the Steelers before uh, you know the final month where you got the Forty ers again. You're at Chicago on Christmas Eve, which. For Desert Boys, that's not going to work out too well for you guys. Uh, <laughs> in any Chicago, bitterness is in the air. That's going to suck. And then at Philly, home for the Seahawks to uh, finish out the year. It's it's um, it's not a kind schedule. You got a lot of tough opponents uh, on the board this year. Yeah, I think uh, 
people are looking for wins, right? That's what most people kind of think. Right. Um, you know, I think I think it's probably four to seven wins. I mean, you, you, yeah, you could see a scenario where they have fewer than four wins easily if things, you know, just really struggle. But, um, but you're right. You know, you want to what you really want to see is that culture developing. You want to see kind of that toughness, even in losses, right? Building on something. Um, but it's going to be a rough year, <laughs> no doubt. You know, yeah. um, Rams are probably the like I said, the best chance for a win. Atlanta's interesting. They're they're going to play tough defense, um, and they're going to run the ball. Uh, you know, Houston maybe is probably one of the the teams you would think we would match up well against, but you just never know. It, it's ugly, right? I um, mean, it, it's lining up nicely for us to get that first overall pick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's 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 like again, like like having just come off of it. Uh, and everything you're going to want to see progress even right. even in the losses and and that's what we do as you know podcasters or content creators whatever you want to call yourself uh, and everything is to try to instill some kind of hope in our in our listeners and our viewers uh, and everything but like yeah we lost let's let's play the yeah but game with the loss it's like yeah we lost but you know, we, we, we fought him right till till the very end. If not for, you know, this, we probably come away with the win. If the ball bounces differently, we're four and two instead of two and four or one and five or you know, or whatever. Try to try to put a slant on it. And it's easy to do that if your team is competitive, if they are fighting and you know that it's it's merely just a talent deficit right now as this new regime starts to take over and rebuild. Uh, this roster, and that was a much easier pill for us Bear fans to swallow yeah. last year, knowing that after Darnell Mooney, we're looking at Dante Pettis and uh, you know, and, and a bunch of other guys that you that are not on the roster anymore. Quite frankly, that uh, you know are, are, were our wide receivers, and and it's just you know, outside of Justin Fields, there was not a whole lot to write home about yesterday last year on the offensive side, and the defensive side was even worse. So it just. <laughs> It, it, but you saw these guys, they fought till the very end. We stole a win from the 49ers week one uh, and everything to get that kicked off the right way. And, and, and you're kind of hoping to see that fight out of the Cardinals. You know, like they said, those first five games. Washington, I would say, is, is your best winnable shot, but that one's on the road uh, yeah. as well. But it's like you got the Giants, the Cowboys, those are going to be tough. You got really tough defenses there. And then the 49ers, they live on defense there as well. The Bengals, you probably have to outscore them because they're just going to light up the board. But, you know, it's like there, there's games that you could possibly walk away with if you can stay in them against these teams, especially the commanders. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's like they always talk about any given Sunday, and it's like it's all about probabilities. The probabilities are that the Bengals are going to put up a shit ton of points right. and it's going to be a boat race at best. Right. right? But every once in a while, right, you know, 10% of the time, a team kind of somehow manages to stymie yeah. offense like that. Even and not and a team without a great defense sometimes does. They have the right game plan. Things break the right way. The, the Bengals have the, a bad day. So, you know, so you look at it, You the anticipation is that it's going to go badly, but you just never know. Sometimes there's a surprise win. You know, when the Cardinals were in, what, 20 – uh, 18, I think, are the, the awful, awful season with um, Josh Rosen as the starting quarterback. We managed to beat the Packers 
you know, and Aaron Rodgers with Josh Rosen. So, but, you know, um, I I look at this all, you know, through the lens of, of the process of roster building, like we were talking about earlier. And you're, you're, I think you're right on. You want to see those signs of life that, that first year. And I think, I think in my opinion, if a general manager and front office and coach do things the right way and maybe a little bit of luck in terms of hitting the right draft picks, you should be able to take the worst team in the league to a playoff contender within three years if you do it right. Yeah. And that, that first year is that roster turnover we were talking about before, churning the roster, clearing the chaff, bringing in the new guys, building the culture. And in that first year, like we've talked about, you're going to be bad, but you want to see feistiness and you want to see culture and you want to see the right playing the right way, the right process year two, which you all are kind of going into that is when you want to be a team that is pushing for the playoffs. Like the lions were last year. The lions are an example of this two years oh, ago, yeah. awful, but good culture last year on the cusp of playoffs. Didn't quite make it. And then that third year, when those guys you've drafted are hitting, they're starting to enter, you know, push towards their prime and you've got the culture in there, that third year, if you've done it right, you should be in the playoffs. And if you've got the right quarterback, potentially a team that can go deep in the playoffs, right? And that this is that three-year process. We're in year one, you're going into year two. And if you understand that and you know what you're looking for, it's easier to not be frustrated, right? What, what I, like, like you talked about, I expect us not to win a lot of games, but what I'm looking for is are they gritty, right? Mm-hmm. How the players are playing. Are they, are they playing hard? Is there a good culture being built? Are we seeing some of those young players flash and show what they can be? Yeah. And if you're seeing those things and you understand that, that sort of three-year process of going from, you know, seller-dweller to contention um, or at least being competitive in the playoffs um, – it makes it a lot easier to be okay with that. Yeah, and, and, and you're thinking selfishly as a fan at the same mm-hmm. time. Like, you know, I want to be able to watch this team play. I, yeah. I, I don't want to get to the end of the year and think, thank God that's over. <laughs> like last year. <laughs> yeah. It was like there, there have been – I mean, and we, were, we did like the last two seasons under, under Nagy where, mm-hmm. thank God it's over seasons. I mean, 2020, we somehow backdoored our way into the – Playoffs actually because you guys faltered down the end. It was You're it welcome. was us or you that was you know going to be that seventh seed, and in the end we ended up uh, getting it just so we can get our asses kicked by the Saints uh, in the in the wild card <laughs> round. And then in 2021, uh, it was same thing, another five six game losing streak right in the heart of the uh, season, two or three of which we should have won and, and all that kind of stuff, only to watch the team roll over and die uh, just because you know Nagy couldn't get our guys to to get ready. Uh, mm-hmm. And everything, and then 2022, we only won three games, but we fought our way through. And you could, you know, go through the schedule and be like, I can see the Bears, you know, if the ball bounces a certain way, or we get a call that we weren't getting, and things like that. Maybe we win eight or nine games uh, last year. Like that's how close these guys are. And now we've got a pumped up roster, not quite elite or world championship caliber yet, but we're a lot stronger in just about every position going into this season. So yeah. There's optimism on what we might actually see, and they'll be fun to play. They'll be fun to watch because they'll be winning more than they were last year. It's like because in the end, you want to see your team win. Nobody's going out there thinking like, "Yeah, I want to see two and fifteen this year. Right. I want to I want to suffer through eighteen weeks of that nonsense." But you know, at the same time, it's like if we have to lose, I at least want 
to be behind the game, behind the team, you know, and watching them, you know, progress and, and, and make strides and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. Like you said, I just want to feel good about the losses. I want to feel good of them about, you know, about those losses instead of watching my team get shellacked 45 to 10 or something like that and be like, well, thank God that's over, you know, we can move on to next week. When we get murdered by the next team or, or, or whatever. You, you don't want to have to be a pessimist about the, season or have a shitty attitude going into one week or the next to be like you want to be optimistic just because it's like you know what one of these days one of these weeks the fight that this team has is going to win us a couple of games that we shouldn't have walked away with and you know like that's what you want to look forward to and, and the bears are right on the cusp of that uh last year fighting the way that they did but in the end they just you know couldn't come away with it or they couldn't finish you know at the end when they had a chance and hopefully they close that gap this year, and then hopefully the Cardinals as well will be that scrappy team that uh, you know makes them uh, makes the other team regret showing up that day, whether they walked out with a W or not. Right. So, Joe, thanks so much uh, for joining us, man. We look forward to having you back on the show. I mean, hell, it'll be six months before we talk to you. Hell, almost seven uh, right. before we get a chance to talk to you. Uh, again, we play Christmas Eve in uh, Chicago, so we'll certainly have our answers about how this year is going by the time we, we see it. It's like, are, are we going to be talking to you guys about tanking for that number one pick? You know, like, how much of a fight are you guys going to put up on Sunday while you've got Caleb's, Caleb Williams in your sights or, or, or trading that number one pick away uh, in your sights when, uh, when you come to Chicago on Christmas Eve? So, um, but thanks so much uh, for joining us, and tell everyone where we can uh, – uh, catch a show and, and, and everything like that. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Larry. It, I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's been great. Um, you can find me on YouTube at the Cardinal rule. Um, that's where kind of my primary, uh, kind of platform for content is I do YouTube videos, uh, kind of long form videos. I do live streams, you know, Cardinals analysis and, and things like this. You can also find me on Twitter at J O K O M O 13. It's kind of an alternate spelling of Joe Camo. J-O-K-O-M-O-13 on Twitter. Uh, so those are the two best places to find me. And, you know, uh, if you are, uh, you know, interested in the NFL in general and kind of want to, you know, uh, just follow good content on another team, the Cardinals, even if you're a Bears fan, uh, come check me out. Uh, definitely would love to have you, uh, f- uh, you know, as a subscriber, follower on my content. Sounds good. All right, Joe. Thanks so much. We look forward to talking to you week 16 uh, <laughs> when the Bears and the Cardinals crash uh, heads at Soldier Field on Christmas Eve. So thanks so much, man. We'll talk to you again real soon. Later. There you have it, guys. We won't talk to Joe again until December. Play Christmas Eve uh, against the Cardinals in Soldier Field, which for the desert, you know, uh, desert home uh, dome team probably won't work out that well for them as far as weather conditions uh, are concerned, especially if they're anything like they were last year. The weather last year during Christmas sucked uh, in the Chicagoland area. It was brutally cold. But um, we'll see how much... Uh, you know, if, if things go the way that we think they would do, there's only so many bear weather games we're going to be able to have before the Bears move to Arlington Heights. But, um, you know, and, and like we were mentioning there at the very end, you know, all of these questions that we had or were trying to answer 
during the conversation will most likely be answered by the time we get to talk to Joe again in late December to uh, to figure out where these teams are and and what they're looking forward to. Will will the Bears be in a position where we're more concerned with how Carolina's doing to see how well our next our other first round pick is going to put us uh, next season, or are we you know going for the division? trying to, you know, get ourselves into the playoffs and play for a home playoff game? Uh, or, uh, you know, will the Cardinals be thinking about, you know, how they're going to use that first-round pick next year? Will it be more like, you know, how heavy will the burden be on Kyler Murray to show that team that he's their, he's their future? Um, or will they, you know, be looking to, you know, trade him off for assets and, and uh, draft um, Caleb Williams or, or whoever – the number one quarterback emerges uh, to be uh, at the end of next season. So, uh, like I said, we'll, we should have the answer to most of these questions by the time uh, we run into him. And it's awesome to think about, but it's also, man, that's a long time from now. Like today is today is Memorial Day. It's the twenty ninth of of um, of of May, and we play on December twenty fourth. It's almost seven months before we play that game. So a lot's going to happen between now and then. Most of the season will be over by the time we play the Cardinals. So, yeah, it will be a uh, quite the interesting conversation that we have with the Cardinals and with Joe uh, the next time we see him. So, next up for us, guys, is the Cleveland Browns, our uh, same-place opponent from the AFC uh, this year. Our friend uh, uh, Thomas Stargell from the Battle of Ohio uh, podcast will be joining us. Uh, to preview the 2023 Browns, talk about the Deshaun Watson situation, where the Browns stand. Is Kevin Stefanski on the hot seat if they don't win again uh, this year and, and, and all the rest of that stuff? We have plenty to talk about when it comes to the Browns and their future and you know, playing in a tough division with the Bengals, the Steelers, and the Ravens. You know, There's not a lot of room for error uh, when you play in a division with teams that are traditionally very good or especially – you know, the Bengals are not a traditionally a good team, but lately with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and, and, and Zach, you know, Zach Taylor and everything, they've really got a great thing going on uh, in Cincinnati. The Steelers with Tomlin and, and, you know, the Ravens with Harbaugh are perennial winners. What is that, you know, what, what scraps are left for the Browns with their tradition and all that kind of stuff to, to try to make headway in such a, uh, a gauntlet uh, of a division? We'll talk to Thomas about that on Thursday. So come on back uh, for that. And then next week, we'll uh, we'll wrap up our same place opponents with the Washington Commanders and our good friend, Mr. Who, Brian himself, uh, from uh, the uh, Commanders Declassified podcast to wrap up same place opponents before we move on to the AFC West. So we'll see you back here on Thursday to preview the Browns. And until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Bears Talk Underground. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off. 
at MVMT.com.